Hi, Joanne. Thank you for joining me on the Now of Work podcast. Hi, Jess. It's a pleasure to be with you. Absolutely. We got to speak last week. I love introductions. I love networking and I love introductions. I like connectors, people who say, you need to know so-and-so. And Gina Kelly did that for us. And I'm so yes. glad you did. <laughs> yes, likewise. Likewise. I really enjoyed our discussion last week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we geek out about a lot of the same things. And I'm going to yeah. get to that <laughs> in just a second. But I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. And so for everyone to, to, to have a better idea of who you are, where you are in the world, what you're doing these days, would you please introduce yourself, Joanne? Sure. So I am the Managing Director for Innovation at Alexander Mann Solutions, which is an outsourcing and consulting, talent acquisition, outsourcing and consulting organization. Uh, we're headquartered in the UK, but we actually service 90 countries in over 40 languages across the globe. And I'm physically based in Dublin, Ireland, which is where I'm speaking to you from today. Um, a beautiful autumnal, slightly um, cold day here. Um, and I've worked for Alexander Mann Solutions AMS for the last 19 years. I've done lots of different roles because when I joined AMS, we were really pioneering the concept of recruitment process outsourcing, um, an industry that's well known now, but at the time, that wasn't a term of use. And so we were really working with organizations to help them understand how we could maximize their approach to talent acquisition, how we could leverage their brand, and how we could use all sources of hiring to culminate in a very effective program of talent management for them. Um, and over the years, I have managed some very large scale outsourcing programs myself, but recently appointed into this role of head of innovation, which is very exciting. Absolutely. And when I was familiar with Alexander Mann, I knew it for talent acquisition and in fact, employer brand, because I came from employer branding and, and recruitment marketing in my time in TA. And I'm really excited to hear you say other words like talent management, career development, because I think, I think we've been short-sighted when we think about talent. We can build, buy, or borrow talent. And for some yes. reason, organizations forget to build their own talent, <laughs> or they forget about all yes. of the options available to them. And, and you and I, when I said we geek out about some of the same things, some of that is the workforce experience that we create, which includes giving people the opportunity the tools and the pathing necessary to keep reskilling themselves, to develop themselves. Some of that is the responsibility of the organization, but if the organization is really smart, they give employees the tools to do some of that yes. on their own behalf. And so tell me a little bit about what, what is on your radar or what you think the opportunity is when we think about innovation for the, for the workplace in that regard. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more with you. And I think that there's been an obsession really over the last 10 years in particular, but potentially longer than that on external talent and making sure, you know, there's almost this kind of FOMO. Do we have as good a people as everybody else does, you know? And yet, if you ask most organizations what their most valuable asset is or why they stay in a particular organization, they'll tell you it's their people. So it's really not putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. But I think, you know, we've been envisaging this would happen. Um, and I suppose a lot of people have too. And looking at the future of work and looking at future of work trends, 
But like many things, this pandemic has brought that future forward. And now organizations are having to really look hard and dig deep because they're either having to hire when they are hiring externally, people that they've not met and that they have to hire in a virtual setting and onboard them in a virtual setting, which makes them wonder, should we be doing this? Um, I think it's questioning whether external hiring is the right thing, but equally, naturally, um, the fact that businesses are slowing, the economy is in crisis, has meant that people are, that organizations are much more focused on looking at how they can redeploy and maximize the talent they have within. And part of that is because they're having to reinvent their own organization. You know, they can't, their traditional ways of working, um, you know, they've had to transform their own company and in so doing, are they really going to hire a brand new workforce? Is it not better to transform the asset you have at the moment? So for some time at AMS, we've been talking about the concept of workforce dexterity and having a work, workforce that's more of an asset that you can change and transform and morph as your business needs morph. And rather than thinking of that as constantly extracting from the external and, and imposing it in your internal environment, what if you were to be more mindful of where the work gets done, what the skills are that you need and where that capability sits and how you transform what you've got today to be what you need tomorrow versus always replenishing and refreshing. Absolutely. You know, I think about it, just to put it in really simple terms, like the parallel that comes to mind is, uh, is, is trying a new recipe. I'm going to bake something new. I'm going to produce this meal that I have not produced before. I probably have all of the ingredients or most of the ingredients. I don't need to go to the grocery to get everything on that list, even if it's a recipe, even if the outcome yeah. is new. So I have to open my refrigerator, open my pantry and see what I've got, see what I'm missing. And I only need to go procure what I'm missing. And at first, again, for some reason, yeah. it befuddles me. Um, organizations uh, always think they need to go procure everything new in the open market, which is very expensive and not Absolutely. necessarily uh, the best option. And, and so this is a data problem. You and I talked about this last week. This is definitely a, an inventory problem where yes. organizations simply don't understand. They don't have line of sight to the complete workforce. And I say complete workforce, the full extended workforce, which doesn't only include the full-time salaried benefited people on your right. Program. It includes everybody else that you flex to include, gig workers, contract workers, consultants yes. you bring in on projects. So having complete line of sight to the full and extended workforce, and then a full, actionable, timely inventory of the skills and capabilities, the value they can bring to the table at any given time, and being able to match that in a pretty agile way to the needs of the business. Yes, that's absolutely. The, the holy grail. It is the holy grail. It's a bit like workforce planning is the holy <laughs> grail. It sounds like workforce planning. Why has <laughs> nobody achieved workforce planning yet? You know, organizations are so slow to commit to workforce planning. And yet, when you think about it, if you know you need to sell something and you need to sell it at scale, surely you work backwards to say how many people, how many you know, types of, of, of person is it going to take or how much tech do I have to code? What's it gonna take for me to achieve? You know, For us to go from A to B, what's it going to take? And yet there's such a reluctance to commit to that. And I think it comes back to the same point that you've been making, which is there's not a really, 
there, there is not, there's no robust way of categorizing, cataloging your inventory of skills and capability within the organization. And without that, you almost can't commit to a workforce plan because you're unsure as to what you can flex and scale, what's agile. And then there's a mindset within the organization that says it's mine, I own it, you know. But if you thought, if an organization was able to think more agile in a more agile way, and I think this time is coming, I think this is now is the time for this, about what do I need and when do I need it as opposed to, you know, taking a skill off the market and saying, you know, I'm going to have this UX developer and I only need them for six weeks or eight weeks, but I'm going to take them off the market for six months because no one else can have them. That means I have competitive advantage and I'll deploy them on other stuff and then they'll do that six weeks or eight weeks of work. Now that in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. However, what if you were to be more open to having a dialogue amongst your colleagues and peers to say, I've got this. I only realistically need this very specialist skill for this period of time. Does anybody else need it? You cannot have it during these dates because this is when my project is projected to need this. But for the rest of the time, we have this contracted in our organization for six months. How can we best utilize it? And if you were able to extrapolate that concept and and look at that across the board and therefore fixate more on capability and skill versus ownership of the talent, instead nurture the talent and share the talent, then you could have a much more agile, flexible workforce that's an asset as opposed to something that you see either as a cost um, and particularly at the moment where organizations are trying to shed cost, that's a challenge. And it's not very fulfilling for individuals either who want to know you know, if I'm an employee in an organization, I want to know how can I continue to innovate on my own behalf so that I am useful in the future, so that I have a, a career here and that it aligns to where this organization's going. So there's a mutual benefit here. And I would say that that's true whether you're a permanent worker in an organization or you know, contingent worker, a gig worker, or even a consultant, because you do want the, the chance to kind of morph and change how you think about yourself as a professional. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think these stats have changed ever. When you, when you ask people what they, what they want or why they stay in an organization, people want, yeah, we want fair pay, and, but the, pay is never number one. We no. want strong leadership, we want a clear sense of direction, and we want challenge and opportunity. Yeah. We want to grow and develop. Um, and I think we feel limited. Internal mobility has always driven me nuts. It has always driven me nuts that we do feel territorial about high posts. Yes. We don't want them to leave their job role, our department, our team, our business unit. Yep. Um, because we have a high performer. We know how lucky we are to have that person. And so we sit on them and that's not good for them. Absolutely. And you know, in the last crisis that we had, the 2008 downturn, I was fortunate enough to work with one of the world's leading investment banks and I led an outsourcing engagement for them. And they at the time had hired, brought on a brand new CIO for the organization. And he aligned to a brand new CEO and that CEO made a statement that was extremely powerful at the time. Um, the CEO said, I want to make the internal job market as attractive as the external job market. And with that strategic intent, 
the HR organization galvanized around it and they created a culture of internal mobility where they celebrated the managers who released the talent as well as the talent themselves. Now, it took some time to do this because it wasn't the culture of the organization previously. But by highlighting that now they're creating this kind of this different type of environment where people were actually willing to put their hands up. You know, we did that with them in a number of different ways where we had these sort of blind dial-ins where you'd have the head of an organization, maybe it was the risk function or, you know, the equities um, IT function who would just, anybody in the, in the organization could dial in anonymously and listen to the head of that function talk about where they were going, what they needed, what kind of skills were required in order to be successful in that organization. And it took the fear out of it because it just became a very natural part of being part of that organization. It's been very, very successful. Um, so there is ways in which this can be done so that you can create an, an asset out of your workforce. I think in the current environment, the big topic of discussion for CHROs has got to be, how do we become more agile? You know, I think philosophically they know that that's the case but are very fixated often at the moment because most organizations are very fixated on cost. And when cost, cost is absolutely an important imperative, but if it's the only driver, sometimes in your rush to reduce cost, you, you, know, you, you overemphasize that at the expense of thinking more broadly as to how something can be sustainable, perhaps focusing much more on how do we quickly categorize or inventorize our capability understand where it is, then begin to see where our gaps are or how we can maximize, you know, where, where we have it to its best potential could be a much more interesting starting point and begins to field the cost conversation because then it becomes a question of, wow, we don't have the right people anymore or we do, we have the raw ingredients. Can we upskill, reskill them? Um, you know, how do we make that happen? How do we meander the current crisis um, versus always a rush to the bottom, which is to say, let's shed, you know, let's shed cost. And then guess what happens in six months time when orders come back in or demand returns, they hire again. And yeah. we're back to square one and we're back into that sort of cyclical process. And it might be, it might be, it might seem counterintuitive for someone who works in a services organization that's about hiring on behalf of other clients to speak in this way. We're not, you know, the organization I work for, AMS, we're not motivated by always adding and being additive. It's about repurposing the workforce and making sure that we're thinking about how we avoid attrition, um, how we, you know, how we reutilize the talent within and how we take both aspects of the workforce, be they permanent or temporary or even trainees through the campus program and, and leverage that in a much better, much more self-sufficient way for the organization. I, you know, never waste a good pandemic, right? I think yeah. <laughs> that was necessary all along, uh, yes. but now it's mission critical. Now it's the survival of the business that, that's really at stake here. If they don't figure out how to do more with the talent they've already invested in, uh, it really could have um, financial impact uh, uh, to the yes. business. And so I, I love the idea of uh, Jason Averbrook and I, my, my co-host, uh, and the CEO of LeapGen, uh, we just had this conversation within our Now of Work community recently around the notion of talent stewardship. 
that it really is. We used to wage war for talent against the competitors on yes. the market. And now the idea of, of the talent war is really this idea of waging war for your own people, understanding who they are, what they care about, showing them care, support, resources, giving them mobility and development options. And I love, what was the word you used earlier? Adorable workforce? Dexterous. Workforce dexterity? Yes, dexterity. I love it. Durable too, but dexterous. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I keep thinking about resilience and and we've all had to be resilient in 2020 for obvious reasons. Yes. Redefine the workforce as resilient. That requires and implies a lot of things. That does require that dexterity and it requires agility. It also requires making this real in an organization, I'm wondering what else it requires. I keep thinking, when I hear yeah. you talk, I keep thinking about destructuring work and job roles and more yes. based work streams. Is that what it requires? Yes, it is. I think it is that. I also think it requires that um, there is, that, you know, that, that, that skills are kind of boundaryless you know, and I appreciate that that's a totally, that reframes an organization. So if you don't, there's this kind of sense of ownership. Mm -hmm. And what if you owned the talent as an organization rather than owned it as a business unit? But when you think about it, the talent that you have, you've invested in. Surely you've been nurturing it, right? Because it's still there. Um, if your attrition is in the right place, surely you've been investing in, you know, management development programs, um, a self-learning tool, whatever most organizations, most mature organizations have either sort of line of sight of how talent develops itself. You should have a lot of data and information on your workforce. And it's perhaps how you're using that L&D platform that you've got, how you're using your performance management platform. You know, you should have a lot of content and a lot of data and you should be able to share some of that. I'm sure employees from in most organizations now self-serve on all of this stuff. So it should be very, very available. What if you were to look at that, but also use some of the collaboration tools that most organizations have today? You know, especially in this pandemic, you know, we found that, you know, things that we never thought we would do, we are doing, right? So we're having, you know, wall to wall, back to back video conference calls and video discussions and client meetings and pitches and whatever. Anything we could have done face to face, we are now doing <laughs> on video. So suddenly these collaboration platforms are becoming the way in which we do our work, how we speak to each other, how we engage, how we run projects. We would never have envisaged that. Could we not be using some of these collaboration platforms to actually isolate the work and say, this is who's getting this done and this is who's getting that done. And if you overlay your skills bank, I have to believe there's a way in which you can leverage the skill and direct it towards the work. And that might mean from time to time, someone comes out of your team and someone enters your team. And that person that comes out of your team is going somewhere else for a period of time. It's a different way of working. It's much more collaborative. Um, and I suspect it's probably more how or, um, campus programs work these days. I'm assuming that's how many graduate schools are working on their programs and solving problems together. Could we not take the best of that and, and use that in the workforce, I wonder? I mean, I think that's, 
that would be a way of breaking down the barrier. Because sometimes if you release talent, you don't believe you're getting something back. But, but if it's proven, you're actually getting something, you're releasing it, you're getting it. And sometimes you can get what you get it back. <laughs> then perhaps it would reinforce that behavior. So I'm going to uh, poke the bear just a little bit. I'll play devil's advocate with the flip side of this. How do we create an overarching experience and, and convey culture and keep, uh, you know, sort of that, the fabric of the values system and corporate mission and our employee value proposition, all of the, you know, I guess you could look at it as overarching or perhaps it's foundational. How do you keep that intact with this notion of fractional working, project-based work streams, flexible, fluid yeah. talent? How do you keep sort of the foundational experience and people tied to your values and mission, even if, like if we create this completely dexterous, agile workforce, how do we make sure the foundational stuff stays intact? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And I think that it's almost like creating a certain baseline of utility, like having a, it's like having a team of utility players, but with specialisms so that people are, they have a base level of skill and a base level of values. Just like anybody you'd hire in your organization, you hire to a core set of values. But if you're hiring to those values and one of those values is reinvention, replenishing, replenishing your skills, updating your skills. If that's one of your core values, this should be an easy sort of pivot um, to, to deploy. If that isn't how you've been hiring, then perhaps you need to rethink how you're hiring. I do think that when we speak to graduates and even school leavers these days, you know, the advice that we in the talent acquisition world are giving is more around have a, have a, have a portfolio career. Be able to do a number of different things don't, don't pin your mast, you know, don't pin your colors to one particular mast. Be good at a number of different masts to make yourself a little bit more agile and more dexterous, more flexible. So I agree, that baseline absolutely has to be there. But what if one of the core values was that we invest in our people? And we invest in our people by being open about what we expect of them in terms of what we expect them to deliver and what we need for them in order for us to jointly be successful in our mission, whatever that mission is as an organization. Surely that's motivating. And surely if, um, if the employee can see that there are opportunities to align to that, you know, I have a very clear view of how I contribute, just a bit like the man in the moon analogy. If I know how I'm contributing to that mission, and I may need to get involved in this project because I don't have that skill and I'd really like to get that because that's the direction of travel or I need to upskill myself or I'm going to approach my manager to say, I'd like to do a course in XYZ so that I can be considered for the next release of this product or et cetera, et cetera. Surely that's the type of employee and that's the type of workforce we want. Yeah, absolutely. And when I think about the the drivers, career drivers for people, what we want and value, why we'll stay with an organization, what will motivate and uh, engage me, I think that we've shifted to really human career drivers. Absolutely. Feel safe. And when I say safe, it 
what a year, but I, I do mean physical safety, but I also mean psychological safety. I mean, from a value standpoint that I, I can express myself and be heard, that I'm understood as a whole human being, um, yeah. inclusive work cultures, all of those things. I want to feel cared for and supported in different ways than ever before. So when Absolutely. I think about the career drivers and the value systems and, and what people really want in their employment relationship, I do think that hiring for resiliency and then building and nurturing those traits and those characteristics actually serve the business, but they serve the person they as do. well. And at the moment, you know, we're surrounded by uncertainty. Like you could argue that even pre-pandemic, there's uncertainty. You could find uncertainty if you looked for it, but it's never been more uncertain. And when it's, there is uncertainty, individuals sort of resort to some of their core values. You know, they feel, they want that sense of security and safety. They want some, some level of surety. You know, they want, you know, a frank and honest conversation. They want to know, you know, they will be motivated by knowing if I continue to learn and develop, there's a role for me here. If I make myself relevant, but I need to know what that relevance is. I need to know what that's going to be. I think you can get even greater commitment for individuals because people are, are craving clarity and they're craving certainty, you know, because it's the one thing we don't have at the moment is any kind of certainty or plan. So I think it's an opportunity for employers to re-engage and realign and reset. Um, and those that are going to be successful during this time, I think, are those that seize this moment to do exactly that. You know, there's been so much transformation in the last, you know, five or six years around organizations becoming digital organizations, traditional organizations, you never talked about being digital before are suddenly digital. You know, they're, they're, that's the, their new platform is digital. There's been a huge amount of HR transformation. Again, you know, new enterprise systems being put in. So there's been a lot of flow and a lot of change. And I think this pandemic, and I know that many people have written about this, that actually the next phase of it is going to be intrinsically human because we're going to resort back to how, what's the human element? We have the tools now, but how do we use our humanity in a much greater sense and tap into that in a much greater way? I could not agree more. That's, that's why we connected so, so well, I think, Joanne, and I loved this conversation. I've been thinking a lot about that. I've actually been obsessing over that notion over the last couple of weeks. There's, there's something, you know, sort of tickling at me, but I really do think this is the human revolution. I think we've humanized yeah. work in bigger ways and faster than ever before. And suddenly everything, everything is about putting humans at the center of our strategy, our design, the experience. We're truly yeah. redesigning and reshaping work around people and where yes. they are, rather than asking people to mold to, to old, stodgy, traditional work models. Yes. Uh, I, I think, and that, and there's a lot, there's a lot that still needs to happen to complete that transformation, a true sustained transformation. But I think we, I think the accelerant that was the pandemic this year, multiple pandemics, social, yeah. global health crisis, financial, you know, impact, I think that uh, I think that we had a lot of accelerant uh, uh, this year that, that we can use to our advantage and use as momentum. And it's never been a more exciting time. Absolutely. We, I mean, if not now, when? You know, this is a chance for us to reshape how we think about work, how we think about workforce, 
how we think about talent. Um, you know, never again, I hope, in my lifetime anyway, will there be a chance to sort of hit the reset button in such a overarching way. Um, and, you know, if not now, when are you going to do it? You know, and, and I think you're seeing that with people. People, are, their, their values are different. Um, they're really evaluating what, you know, what they can do better, how they can live their lives. And most employees, and you said this at the very beginning of our conversation, Jess, at the end of the day, people want to be somewhere where they can do their best work, where they can thrive, where they can be themselves, where they're true to themselves. There's a sense of authenticity and they feel there's some element of fairness. And if you can create those conditions, then you should be able to really engage with a workforce that is much more diverse um, that is aligned to your values. And then it's up to you as the employer to really think about how you accelerate the development and the, the transition of that workforce to meet your needs. You know, gone are the days where you kind of say, we've got them, we, you know, this is what we want to do. Do we have the people to do it? Yes, no. Okay, get new ones. We kind of, that, that renewability is just not there because th there, there is skills shortages everywhere. Um, this, that's not new, but we've never really you know, instead, we always want to hire in the likeness of our closest competitor or who we perceive to be best in class at this rather than creating that standard ourselves. It takes you time and vision. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you shared a quote with me last week. I'd love you to share it with our audience. I, I had to ask you to repeat it to me. <laughs> I, I, could, I remembered the quote, but not the source. And I and it struck me. So if it struck me, I'd love you to share it. And, and it feels like that's a great note to end on. What was the Lennon quote? It was, um, there are decades where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen. And I think we're definitely in a year where decades are happening for certain, certainly Absolutely. where the world of work is concerned and many, many other things. But yeah, this is, this is definitely our moment in this particular industry, um, I feel. Joanne, thank you so much for being my guest on the Now of Work. I've so appreciated our conversation, and I hope you have a great weekend. You too. It was an absolute pleasure, Jess. Thank you for having me.